With that, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your perfect promises. We thank you for your, for your grace, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that in humility, God, that we can come before you and you work on us. You reveal to us the things that we need to be careful of. And Lord, I just pray your spirit upon us today, God, that we will not be too proud of ourselves, but quite the opposite. Lord, that we will be, be, that we will be broken before you to receive God, the blessing of serving you. Amen. So we're continuing on in Genesis today. Uh, uh, Genesis 32, uh, verses 22 through 32 tonight. So go ahead and get that ready. We're going to be working through it throughout the evening. Now, recently I came across an interesting set of statistics on sanity. And according to the study, one out of every four Americans is suffering from some sort of mental illness. Now, I would like for you to take a second. I want you to think about three of your best friends. And if you can't think of anything wrong with them, there's a chance you might be that fourth individual. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was good. Me, myself, and I. Yep, there you go. <laughs> right. Now, truth be told, all of us are broken in some way. All of us are struggling in some way. All of us are in a place of need. You know, in this last year, we have seen many people become further broken than they already were. With the nature of politics and COVID and quarantining and vaccinating and everything else. But only a few of us are even willing to, yes, admit it that there is a struggle, that there is a brokenness. I will say that... Uh, so much about brokenness is we try to hide it. You know, we, we come together in a time of worship and we act like there's nothing wrong with us. We say, hello, good morning, how are you? And, and we bypass a really any type of thing that we can call a conversation where we dig deep with one another to the point where we even hide the brokenness in hopes that nobody will notice it so we don't have to be embarrassed by it or somehow seem to ourselves as I need to appear as if I'm self-sufficient in my struggles. Hoping nobody really sees what's going on in the inside. But really the only thing is though when we don't open up to one another, when we don't allow ourselves to be broken with one another and broken before the Lord, this actually only keeps us from experiencing a sense of even joy and happiness that I think God intends for what the church is to be. There is, yes, a real blessing in brokenness if you can just admit that you're broken before a God that loves you. Now, you might think to yourself, well, what possible blessing can come from brokenness? Well, it can be the good that comes from acknowledging the hurt, the pain, or even the darkness in my own soul. Well, that is what we're going to be covering today. So again, please turn with me to Genesis 32. And we're going to be working through verses 22 through 32 this evening. Where we are going to see what happened with Jacob when he finally came to a place of brokenness in his own life. So we're starting in verse 22. Here we go. And remember, this is the word of God. As we work through it. 
The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jacob. Jacob is about to enter the land God promised him and his descendants, and it is the land of blessing that God has promised him. Now, verse 23 through 24, he says, He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Let's pause for a moment. Up until now, Jacob has been, we have seen, a good fighter. He's fought with his brother Esau, taking the birthright and even a blessing. He fought with his uncle Laban, winning a great amount of wealth. And now he fights a man that he cannot defeat, a quote-unquote man who actually cripples him in one of the strongest areas of the body. Doctors say that the hip muscle is one of the stronger muscles of the human body, a muscle that a horse could scarcely tear apart. Yet this man, with one touch, has pulled Jacob's hip out of its joint, and Jacob is now forever broken and crippled in this area that is seen as an area of great strength. And by now we know that this is no ordinary, quote-unquote, man, but this is a supernatural being much stronger than Jacob. In fact, this is God himself who breaks Jacob down in the area of self-confidence, his sense of self-sufficiency. And what we learn is that oftentimes there's very little blessing without us first being broken. And if, yes, we want to see the blessing, we need to let God break us of the habit of self-sufficiency. I remember the first time I damaged my, my left knee. All right, I was only about 20 when I tore my left ACL. And then I was about in my mid-late 20s when I busted my right knee and I tore my right ACL. And I remember the emotion and the, and the mental games I played with myself because now, you know, I couldn't play sports the way I used to. And uh, I was already dealing with things like arthritis and tendonitis and all these things. Like I was like, I wasn't supposed to hear these words for at least another 25, 30, maybe 40 years. And now I get to hear about them at 20. And, and Kelly, my, my wife, who I was dating at the time, she was like, oh, don't worry about it. They're just sports. And I tried to explain, oh, but honey, this is how I relate to these guys. You know, when I play flag football, it's like the only thing that I can kind of uh, use these broad shoulders in, you know. And but it brought about a sense of brokenness in me. It brought a sense of, OK, I can no longer rely on my body in the same way I used to. And this is part of just the way God put me together, and this is also part of how I'm going to be aging. We need to remember to let God break us of our self-sufficiency. When I learned to embrace the, that fact, and I learned to lean on God more during those times, then I started to have a peace about it. Now, we need to remember when we're talking about Jacob here, Jacob has had a bad habit of not turning to God for help. And instead, we saw him rely on his own craftiness, and we saw that when he did that, he would actually make things worse many times. But Jacob was also starting to become more wise. 
He was starting to see that nothing he had gained was by his own doing, but he was starting to see that it was from the blessings of God. And this act of having a broken self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency is actually going to be a blessing to Jacob in his reliance to God. And we need to see that sometimes we need to let God break us of this sense of self-sufficiency so that we may rely on God's sufficiency more. Yes, let God break our pride. Let God break us in those areas where we think we are the strongest before he can make us truly strong in him. Chuck Swindoll once said, when God wants to use a man greatly, he must first allow him to hurt deeply. That's kind of a hard thing to say. When God wants to use someone greatly, he needs to allow them to be hurt deeply. You know, when I first heard this idea, I had to admit I didn't like it at all. I I didn't want to experience hurt. I don't like the idea of hurting. I didn't want to be broken before God could use me in, in a way that I thought was significant. But I will say this, though, that since then, I've discovered that it's actually very true. There have been times in my life where times of brokenness and hurt I have experienced in my life. But those times of brokenness have always been followed by times of renewal, times of growth, or not so different from a broken bone. When it's healed, it actually comes out stronger and thicker than it did the first time. And I think about the poverty of my childhood. I think about, you know, the brokenness of of my parents. I think about the brokenness I saw in my previous church. I think about uh, the relationships that I have seen in my life that have deteriorated. And then I think about, but what did God bring from the brokenness? I saw God preparing me for ministry in ways that, quite honestly, seminary can teach us some helpful things, but when it comes to the practicality of ministry survival, I think that's the right word, survival, finishing well, that only comes through the Holy Spirit. And there's a certain amount of training that God gives in this life where, yeah, you know, he's going to pound a bit. He's, I, I made the, it's not a mistake. It was the right thing, but sometimes it felt like a mistake. I prayed God help toughen me up for the day when I go into the church, Lord. And I'll tell you what, he answered that prayer by throwing me in front of almost 200 people as I had to announce the sudden resignation of our pastor. And the pain that followed that was excruciating. But then God showed me that, but I still loved them. And God's grace was still on them. And these became things of affirmation and encouragement and training that, and discipline that God was bringing on me to prepare me and teach me. And God was saying, don't you forget this. Remember this in all that you do when it comes to the body of Christ. We also see in Scripture it's been true of all of God's servants throughout history. Before God used Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, God had to put him on the backside of the desert taking care of sheep for 40 years. From royalty to sheep care for 40 years. Before God used Isaiah, one of Israel's greatest prophets, he had to bring Isaiah to the point where he would cry out, Woe is me! In Isaiah 6. Before God used the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he had to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited, as we see in 2 Corinthians 12. 
In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 9, we see this. It says, Paul prayed this. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Even Christ's body had to be broken on the cross before the blessing of the salvation, yes, could come to a broken world. Vance Habner once said, God uses broken things, broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. Remember where Peter was when he denied Christ three times. And then when he experienced the grace and the forgiveness of Christ for that. We never saw that old Peter again. We saw a new bold Peter that moved forward in the Lord. Are you broken today? Well, then we need to come to God and we need to ask him, Lord, please turn this brokenness into a blessing somehow. You might not even be able to see how it could be a blessing, but pray that nonetheless God will turn it into a blessing and to reveal that to you, not only for yourself, but also for those around you. Yes, God does indeed use broken things more than anything else. In fact, God, yes, breaks us of our self-sufficiency and our pride before he often blesses us and to make us a blessing to others. I came across this story in my studies. Uh, Scott Sauls is pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, and he tells a story about an unnamed nursery worker who bumped into a first-time visitor named Janet. Not our Janet. And Janet had dropped off her two boys in the nursery. And this is what uh, Pastor Saul wrote. He says, After the service, while Janet was waiting in the nursery line to retrieve her boys, one of the nursery workers quietly approached her and said that there had been some issues. I've had this one happen before. Just so you know, there's a door at our old church that's named after my son. Because after he was there, they had to install a new security system. It's known as the Elijah door. So proud, so proud. Um, (laughs) And also one of her boys, uh, what we learned was both of her boys had actually picked fights with other children. And also one of her boys had broken several of the toys that belonged to the church. And the mother right in front of the room filled with the other children and their parents, Janet scolded her boys and then screamed in a bellowing voice, something I cannot say here from the pulpit, but she was deeply ashamed and feeling like a failure. There's more to Janet's story, though. But what we saw was Janet got her boys and skulked out of the building, and no no doubt it was believed that they were never going to see her again after the events of that day. But one of the nursery volunteers had compassion on the nursery worker. She actually called the church office that Monday and asked if the pastor could check the visitor notebook to see if Janet had left her contact information. And she had. The information was given to the nursery worker, and unbeknownst to the pastor, she sent Janet a note. 
And the note read something like this. It said, Dear Janet, I'm so glad that you and your boys visited the church. Oh, and about that little exchange when you picked them up from the nursery, let's just say that I found it so refreshing that you would feel freedom to speak with an honest vocabulary like that in church. I am really drawn to honesty, and you are clearly an honest person. I hope we can become friends. Love on the, the, the nursery worker. Now, the nursery worker and Janet actually did become friends. After she received this letter, they connected with one another and got to know one another. And then Janet actually came back the following Sunday after they became friends. And then the Sunday after that. And then the Sunday after that. And eventually... Down the line, Janet, this mother, actually became the nursery director for the church. And later on, it was discovered that Janet started coming to a different, uh, started, started attending uh, that church on the first day that she was a recovering heroin addict. That was her first day when she was trying to battle heroin. And this is what God loves to do with broken people. And this is also why we need to also remember how we deal with people in their struggles. Especially when God's people show care rather than condemnation. It would have been so easy to go after this woman because she had spoken words that were rough and things we weren't used to hearing in, in a typical church environment, but yet someone had grace and compassion. And it actually turned into a ministry. And it actually helped build, rebuild this woman that was struggling out of addiction. You realize God uses us to help build people out of their brokenness? He restores them and even uses broken people for His glory. And we need to let God do that for us too. Don't live on in our misery because we refuse to let God break us, but, and, and don't continue on in living in, in self-confidence and pride. We need to stop insisting that there's nothing really wrong when everybody else knows that there is and there's a struggle. We need to let, yes, God break us of our stubborn pride and let God's people minister and let the Spirit minister to us. And that's because most of us have been broken too. And we know that there's blessing that can come from it. Psalms 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. If you want to be blessed and be a blessing to others, then we need to let God, yes, break us of our self-sufficiency and our pride. What we also learn is that we also need to let God break us of our sin and our sin habits. We need to let God break us with the realization that we're spiritually poor and we need Him. We're not holy. He's the holy one. We're not righteous. He's the righteous one. Let God break us with the stark awareness that we are bankrupt and that there's deceit and wickedness that we need to deal with and bring to the Lord. And that's how God had to break Jacob before he could bless him. Because Jacob did have to deal with his conniving ways, his lying ways. Look at verse 26 and 27 here in Genesis 32. It says, Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And he said to him, What is your name? And, J- and he said, Jacob. Jacob, this name means heel grabber, usurper, deceiver. All these things that we have seen from Jacob's life, the lying, the conniving, the, the sleaze, the craftiness. When Jacob gave his name, he was telling God who he really was. God caused Jacob to admit who he was. He was a liar, a deceiver, and a cheat. God made Jacob admit his own sinfulness before God would bless him. Verse 28 says, Then he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob. So in other words, no longer cheat, deceiver, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God gave Jacob a new name, a new identity. He's no longer to be known as liar and deceiver. Jacob, he will now become known as the one who struggles or strives with God, Israel. Before Jacob fought against God, now God fights for Israel. God gave Jacob a new name and God gave Jacob a new relationship with him. Verses 29 through 30. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He says, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. God knew exactly what Jacob had done. And yet God did not exercise his wrath on him, yet he delivered Jacob. And he gave him a new name. Peniel means the face of God. God allowed Jacob Jacob to wrestle with him, to come face to face with him, to be real with him, to struggle honestly before him. And he didn't die. Instead, Jacob experienced grace. Jacob was blessed instead of being cursed like he deserved. God gave him a new name, a new identity. God gave him a new relationship with himself. And God gave him a new reputation even in himself. Isn't that what Jesus Christ does for us when we wrestle with him and then one day in humility say, Jesus, I forgive me. I am a sinner. I trust you as my Lord and Savior. And then we are born again, a new identity in Christ. Verses 31 and 32. The sun rose upon him and as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip, Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. So this event was of such important consequence that it would be recorded through the traditions of Israel in their food habits. No longer would they eat part of this sinew of the thigh. So the sun rose on Jacob that day, both literally and figuratively. It rose in the sky, but also rose in Jacob's heart. His despair is turned to joy, and forever God's people remember what God did for him that day. Jacob was blessed, but he had to come to a point of brokenness in regards to his sin and who he was. And that's what we must allow God to do for us as well. If we want to be blessed as well, we must allow God, yes, to break us from our sin Tell him who and what we really are. 
We're liars, deceivers, and sinners. And do that before, and, and we need to do that before he gives us a new identity, a new relationship with himself, and yes, that new reputation with him. Jesus said in Matthew 5 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, only those who admit their own spiritual poverty can enjoy the blessings of heaven, starting at that very moment on earth. On the other hand, those who continue in their own sense of self-righteousness and pride are not going to experience that blessing. Phil Yancey, in his book, What Good is God?, writes about being invited to speak at a conference on ministry to women who are trapped in prostitution. And after some discussion with his wife, Yancey agreed to accept the invitation as long as he could have the opportunity to question the women and hear their stories. And at the end of the conference, Yancey said to the women, Did you know that Jesus referred to your profession in the Bible? Let me read to you what the Bible says. He says, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He was speaking to the religious authorities of his day, Yancey said. And then he asked the women, what do you think Jesus meant? Why did he single out prostitutes? After several minutes of silence, a young woman from Eastern Europe spoke up as best as she could in her English. And she said, everyone, she has someone to look down on, not us. We are the low. Our families, they feel shame for us. No mother nowhere looks at her little girl and says, Honey, when you grow up, I want you to be a good prostitute. Most places, we are breaking the law. Believe me, we know how people feel about us. People call us names. Whore, slut, herka, herka, hooker, harlot. We feel it too. We are the bottom. And sometimes, when you are low, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes... We respond. Maybe Jesus meant that. Saying that they are so low that they are ready to receive the help of Jesus when it comes. It is not the self-righteous who find the kingdom of God. It is those who know their need and admit their sin. You see, you see Jesus came to die for the sinners, not for the self-righteous so yes, we need to admit our sin, trust in Jesus, and find a new life in Him. Find that new name, new relationships, a new reputation, just like Jacob did when he admitted his sinfulness, and so he became named Israel. And believers, believers in Christ, we also need to be careful. We too must be honest with God and admit our sin if we're going to be, yes, to receive His blessing and be a blessing to others. The Apostle John wrote these words to his brothers in Christ his fellow believers, in 1 John 1, 8-9, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is there a desire for new life, for new relationships, new community in you? It starts, yes, that when we that when we confess that we're tired of this old life, this old way, it starts when we confess that the old one is wicked and wrong and we want to put it behind us and move forward in the Lord. If we want to be truly blessed and be a blessing to others first, yes, we need to let God break us of our sense of pride and self-sufficiency. And second, we need to let God break us of our sin and sin condition. 
I want to close with these words from Ann Ortland regarding uh, what we read in Mark 14.3. This is what these were her comments about the time when Jesus was reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. And then in Mark 14, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And this is what she had to say about applying this. She said, Christians file into church on a Sunday morning. One by one by one, they march in. Almost as each one is like an alabaster jar to themselves. They contain contain self-sufficient, encased, individually complete contents that are undisclosed. No perfumes emitting from it. So it's the idea that there is something pleasant inside each of us, speaking to really Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the works that he's doing in us. Yet oftentimes we, we keep it sealed and to ourselves. She said, many bodies will file into church, no doubt. And they do so because they have Jesus inside of them. Jesus. But then we need to consider who Jesus is. He is precious. He is exciting. He is life-giving. He is the Redeemer. He is the one that mends. But most of them keep him shut up, contained, enclosed all their lives like alabaster vases holding precious nard. And then the air isn't full of the smell of this nard, but it's full of just, it's odorless. There's nothing in it when it could be filled with the things of Christ. They come to church and sit. These long rows of cold, beautiful people which God has put something in. And then they get up and march out again silently to, re to repeat this ritual week after week, year after year, until they just get bored and maybe quit. The need for Christians everywhere, nobody to be exempt, is to be broken. We are to be broken before the Lord. Yes, these alabaster jars need to be, yes, smashed. Christians have to let the life which Christ has put into them out. And then it will fill the room with his sweetness. And the congregation will all be, yes, bits of broken shards and their brokenness mingling with one another for the first time. Yet, at the same time, the perfume will also of all Christ's work and all that he's doing will also fill the room and fill amongst the church. Yes, and the idea is that, our broke, that in our breaking, we are then forced to rely on God together. And the aroma of each of us relying on Christ intertwines with one another, creating a perfume worthy of even Christ to wear. A people willing to embrace their brokenness for the sake of honoring our good God. Yes, it's easier to not allow ourselves to be broken in front of one another. We feel more self-sufficient that way when we don't appear broken. But God has called us to trust in Him and to be authentic to Him. And as the body of Christ, to also be authentic with one another. But listen, brokenness is worth the cost. Receive what God has broken and allowed to be broken. So that then we can receive the blessing in these hard times that God has planned. A blessing that we don't even imagine or understand in this moment. But in faith, we trust he is working in his good and perfect will.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, forgive me, a sinner. Lord, I am not a perfect man, but I desire to want to live this life to honor and glorify you. And Lord, too often I have found myself in the trap of just because I stand behind a pulpit of needing to appear as if I am perfect before everyone. But Lord, I struggle too. And I struggle in so many ways that is relatable to the people around me. And God, I need to allow even my brokenness to be visible to those around me. God, that people can also see what your Son is doing in my life, what your Spirit is doing in my life, what you, God, are doing in my life. Lord, we love and we thank you, God, how you make broken things new. How in even the harshest of conditions, even in ways we can't see, God, you are working your good and perfect will. Lord, help us to be broken before you and to trust you in these times. God, fill us with your grace and your mercy. God, that peace that surpasses all understanding because we know you are with us. And so we offer ourselves to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. God bless. Y'all have a good night.